1: Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Englehart, racing's regular guy. And thanks so much for joining us for another edition of Winning
2: Ponies. Got two great guests, one that's been with us a lot. He's one of the top handicappers in all of North America. He has his own show every Friday on DRF.com. And that's none other than Matt Bernier. I've been wanting to get Matt on for the Saratoga meet because he's really plugged into that. And it is closing week at Saratoga. All good things must come to an end, but we're going to go out with a bang. Uh, Heading the card is the Woodard Stakes. And we're going to get to see uh, once again... The great Frosted, who could be the biggest challenger in the Breeders' Cup Classic. The son of Tappet just keeps reeling out 100-plus buyer figures like he could do it in his sleep. So uh, we're going to take a look at, at that race. We're also going to look at the Spinaway and perhaps the uh, Glens Falls. So we will um, be tapping Matt Bernier For those races up at Saratoga, it's also opening week at the rich, grassy Kentucky Downs meet. Uh, Jenny Reese has been doing a great job keeping us up to date on what's going on at Kentucky Downs. So that's what's happening on the handicapping front. And our first guest is going to be, uh, let's just say the co-trainer of uh, perhaps the greatest horse in training, California Chrome, And that's Alan Sherman, who shares duty with his father, Art Sherman. Uh, California Chrome, it was announced this week that they do have a game plan on getting him to the Breeders' Cup Classic. And it looks like they're going to go to the October 1st Awesome Again. And that will be over the Santa Anita Strip, where they're going to have the Breeders' Cup. So Alan Sherman, I didn't realize until I did some research that he was actually going to try to be a jockey when he started out in the business, but he says that he ate his way out of the job. Well, hopefully you can Win your way to a bunch of cash this week using our winningponies.com easy win forms. Had another good week all over from coast to coast and in the middle. Of course, uh, getting towards the end of Del Mar, a $1 Super 5 box, paid $4,934. Down at Gulfstream Park, my friend P. Dye a $1 Super 5, paid $4,971. A little night raising at Mountaineer. Within the last week, a $1 pick paid four paid $4,800. And uh, Evangeline, who closed out their meet, congratulations to Cody Hernandez. He took home the rider's title. Uh, we had a 50-cent pick four that paid 2417 And up in Chi-Town at Arlington, a $1 Super 5 key, $2,889. Well, of course, the talk of the week was all about the Travers Stakes, and it looks like we have a new star on the rise. I don't know how many times we've seen this where Bob Baffert sends two horses to post, and it looks like the horse that's the longer shot ends up getting the job done. Well, Ar- this time it was Arrowgate who uh, finished ahead of stablemate American Freedom. Arrowgate sent away at 11 to 1. American Freedom 5-1, to and uh, this is going to be something else. I hope you got to see the race. Mike Smith was in the saddle. He just roused him a little bit into the lane, and when he did this horse, Arrowgate... Uh, who's the son of Unbridled Song, I believe this was his last crop, just took off in a beautiful, fluid stride and got the job done. And not only got the job done, but beat General Assembly's stakes record and track record 159.36. What's that say for a horse making only its fifth lifetime start? He is now four for five, did not win its debut, which was only a six furlong affair, so... Arrowgate, new kid on the block, it was American Freedom, who was in the the second spot, and finishing third in the Midsummer Derby was Gun Runner. Well, it looks like uh, not one, but two horses out of that race are going to get a little bit of a rest. Uh, Kieran McLaughlin is just kind of mystified by Mohamed, who finished 11th of twelve. Uh, as the second choice of the King's One Bishop, obviously he didn't come out of that race, but he's from the three-year-old division, and uh, he's going to take the year off with him and bring him back as a four-year-old. Uh, coming out of the Travers, though, was a Creator, horse uh, that Stephen Christen, I bet, and uh, Creator didn't fare well, and it looks like Windstar Farms going to say, "Hey, what do you say we uh, we take a little bit of a rest here?" And so looks like he, thank God, will be returning as a four-year-old. Well, uh, Run Happy is still running happy. Uh, Had another flashy workout, drilling five furlongs in 58 flat at Keeneland this morning. Uh, Earlier, he had put in a three furlong move that was sensational. My question is, is is it too fast for a horse that you're getting ready to kind of uh, stretch out? It looks like he is going to try to make it to the ACAC at Churchill Downs. We'll see if they can get this horse who's been on the shelf since the Breeders' Cup back in time for the ACAC. And they say that uh, it looks like they're going to maybe point to the Breeders' Cup mile. And there are suggestions that he is going to uh, try to go in the Pegasus Stakes. So uh, good luck to the Connections are run happy, but, boy, he seems to be running awful fast for a horse that they plan on stretching out. Well, um, as I told you, Kentucky Downs is going to open, and the fields are just so full, a total of 189 horses were entered Wednesday for Saturday's 10 race opening card again, all turf and got news for you. The weather's pretty good out here in the Midwest. So it looks like, uh, they're going to be going on the green down at Kentucky downs, uh, quite a bit of stakes racing there, 350,000 for the ladies turf. And then you've got, uh, two juvenile races. The one for the boys and one for the girls, they're both at seven furlongs and both carry a $350,000 purse, as does the Kentucky Downs Turf Sprint. That is at six and a half furlongs. Moving along with uh, news of the week, it looks like... uh, holly S- scully john scully the longtime voice of fairmount park is finally going to hang up his binoculars i had the pleasure of working with john for three years at darby downs which of course uh, became beulah park and was beulah <laughs> park before that uh but uh had a great time with john and his wife lois just super uh, super people uh, hard to believe that john was uh 46 years in the announcer's booth. He's from the St. Louis area, so he took the job when uh, Dave Johnson decided to leave Fairmont Park. So, congratulations to John Scully. They believe he's uh, called between 70,000 and 75,000 races during the course of his career. Now, we talked earlier, of course, about California Chrome. Looks like. uh, the mare who produced him is going to be going in the phasic tipton November sale in full to tap it. What is that going to bring? Uh, Perry Martin, who owns the horse now, says he's uh, going to try to buy brood mares with the money. A key purchase that he's already made is an Ohio bred Munnings filly named Not-A-Kitten, taking a little bit of jab at the, the Ramses. there, he says. Um, but he plans on uh, beefing up his mares. He still owns uh, 10% of the breeding stock in California chrome. So uh, you're going to have to reach into those jeans and pull out some greens if you want to buy the dam of California chrome in full to. Tap it. Well, let's take a look now again at some of the other races that uh, we looked at last week. Uh, we already did cover the the Travers. Uh, great finish in the, the Personal Ensign. Again, a short but classy field. It was cavorting coming from last to first in there, and uh, looks like a Karen McLaughlin. He's got he's got his win, and you're in. So. Uh, uh, Cavorting most probably will just take it easy and go right up into the distaff. Was last to first in this short field. Got the job done over 9-5 to choice Kuralina. And uh, in the third spot in that very great finish was forever unbridled. So we've got some really classy girls going to be meeting up together in the Breeders' Cup most likely down the road. And then it was the ballerina upset time. What a beautiful job by John Velasquez on Have You Gone Away at 10 to 1. He rated, took the lead at the 16th pole, and held off by the moon by a length at the wire. Third was the favorite, Karina Mia. Of course, uh, our question was... Three-year-old going against older horses. Can she get it done? Well, she had the lead there in the middle of the stretch, but uh, just did not get the job done still. Very nice effort by this daughter of Malibu Moon from the Billy Mott Barn. It was the Kettle One King's Bishop, and the winner... From Flagfall to That's All was Defong, a Bob Baffert trainee. What a day he had at the Spa, sent away at 3 to 1. Second was Economic Model, a Chad Brown t- trainee, and third was Nothing Holding Back Bear at 25 to 1, rounding out a solid trifecta. In the forego, it was AP Indian who's almost even money getting the job done. A Again, Joe Bravo in the saddle and uh, was second, then moved up to first, took an easy lead in, in the lane going this seven for a long distance and ended up winning by two-and-a-half lengths over Tama Kurz, who was a 20-to-one shot. And then uh, put a ring around Flintshire. That's what we said. The question is, did he get help from stable stablemate? Looks like there's going to be a lawsuit filed because it appeared that uh, – Long sh- shot, inordinate, ridden by Aaron Grider. Flintshire was stuck down along the hedge and had nowhere to go. Inordinate came out making a path for Flintshire, who was much the best, but really had nowhere to go and kind of bumped a couple of horses. Looks like this one is going to be go into the courts to find out the official order of finish, but it won't change your ticket. Well, the courageous lady, Eli, who almost... Uh, was lost last year to Foundering, came back with a game second place finish in the Woodford Reserve Ballston Spa, finishing at long odds, 27 to 1, was Strike Charmer, who came from last to first to get up by three quarters of a length. Lady Eli was parked out in the forepath, but nonetheless hadn't raced since the 4th of July in the Belmont Oaks last year. A great effort and i hope she comes back again for trainer chad brown well that pretty much wraps up last week's national racing scene as i said we've got handicapper matt bernard from the daily racing forum coming up and before that we hope to be talking with alan sherman who trains california chrome with his father art you're listening to winning ponies
1: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the Easy Win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, porters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you.
2: All right, and with me, Alan Sherman, who partners up with his father, Art Sherman, who's done a fantastic job at bringing us North America's leading money earner, California Chrome. Alan, doing a little research on you, I I didn't know that at one time you were training to be a jockey.
3: Yeah, I was a jockey. I was a jockey for three years, um, galloped horses for about 15 years, but yeah, I rode races for three
2: I believe your quote was you ate yourself out of a job
3: yeah yeah it was, a, it was tough for me to make the way.
2: well uh, I've had a lot of interesting guests on this show and uh, many of them have come from racing families and it's always kind of an interesting story uh, what was it like growing up being the son of a jockey
3: Oh, it was awesome you know I just I remember when I was really four or five years old going in the jocks room and Seeing all the riders and, uh, you know, Mel uh, Lewis and and Roy Yaka. And, man, I could just remember so many good old riders in the jocks from giving me goggles and whips. And, yeah, it was was quite the experience.
2: Well, a gentleman I work with, uh, Mike Manganello, I'm sure you've heard the name. He uh, rode with your father up in the, uh, the the Cleveland area, and he can't uh, say enough uh, good things uh, about what a quality person your father is. Did were you on the road with him, or were you located at one spot? And when he would ret- return to that circuit, that's when you'd be the, kind of the barn rat.
3: Oh no, he uh, when when I was born, he was the, he was stayed in Northern California. He was okay. uh, he settled there, and uh, yeah, I grew up right there in San Mateo, next to Bay Meadows, and. Uh, yeah, about a mile from the track. So yeah, I've kind of been around it all my life.
2: Well, in in, in saying that, at what point did you kind of transition from your thought process of being a, a jockey slash exercise rider to getting into the training game?
3: Oh, I always planned on it. I knew my riding career wasn't going to be long. You know, I, there wasn't too many jockeys with a size nine boot in the <laughs> jockeys room. So. <laughs> yeah, you know i always knew i was gonna train i just you know i didn't know how long my riding career would last
2: now uh who did you come up under
3: uh roy yaka taught me how to ride and um uh, i won a lot of races for charlie whittingham when i had the bug and uh we did, i did pretty good you know we uh we survived i went back to uh Remington Park for a little bit, and uh, a few other places, but uh, I did most of my good at Santa Anita and Hollywood Park.
2: Now, did you, uh, when you decided to uh, transition to training, did did you kind of go from jockey to exercise rider to assistant trainer, and if so, with who?
3: Yeah, exactly, and it was uh, mostly uh, with my dad. I did work for a few other trainers, um you know, periodically I'd, I went with Dave Hoffman's to. I uh, brought a horse back to Hot Springs with for him, and um, I had a horse horses uh, for Mandela and Whittingham and myself. I had horses in uh, Chicago. We got quarantined back there for a while. I kept their horses. I had flawlessly and Ledger Cat ran in the uh, Arlington Million for Mandela and um well I've been, I've worked I've galloped horses for a lot of different people you know I've always had time to um you know we never had a big stable in southern california just horses here and there for the longest time and so you know when I was down here with those horses I'd go around and and get on horses for other people
2: well it sounds like you've been around a lot of good horses but let's face it uh history has proven uh at at the current time it's hard to compare eras Uh, right now there's none greater than california chrome can you kind of rewind the clock back to the time when he first came in the barn and what your thoughts were about him
3: yeah he is something um when he when he first came into the barn i know they had really high hopes for the horse you know and uh perry martin had mapped out a plan to get to the kentucky derby and win the kentucky derby and you know, when I saw the horse I was like, Yeah, you know, he's he's not a bad looking horse, a little narrow, you know, not real big. Um, but he sure he showed a lot of professionalism when he first came in. He's never I've never seen that horse spook or be scared of anything. I mean, he's just all business. You know, he loves to train. He he loves he he uh actually loves his job and and uh, so he's always been a real pleasure to train. Well, obviously,
2: uh, if not, perhaps to be stepped on in the Belmont Stakes, you you might be uh, having a, a Triple Crown winner in the barn right now. Uh, that was kind of a unique, strange, different kind of route he took. Last year, with the uh, when he ran second in Dubai, and then landed in the strange environs of Europe.
3: Yeah, he, uh, you know, he ran a great race in Dubai. He ran a great race, his first race back after his comeback against Shared Belief. He ran second, and then we took him to Dubai, and he ran second. Yeah, he ran a great race, um, and then. Uh, Perry had decided to send him to England and uh, try him on the turf over there, and, uh, which, uh, you know, it didn't work out, but it could have been a blessing in the long run. You know, we, it gave us time. You know, we just got to kick him out that Taylor made for him when he got back, and, and, uh, you know, it probably wasn't the the best decision to go to England, but, you know, that was a dream of Perry's and, you know, he wanted to prove this colt to run on the grass, you know, against the best turf horses in the world. Uh, um, like I said, unfortunately it didn't work out, but, uh, once he got back here and went over to TaylorMade, the TaylorMade couldn't have done a better job with the horse. I mean, they're phenomenal. They're great at what they do and, uh, when he came in from there, he was like a different horse.
2: Yeah, well, last
3: time I uh, was
2: was with you, we were sitting there and California Crone was taking his afternoon nap. Uh, is he still uh, j- just as uh, cool as a cucumber around the barn?
3: Well, absolutely, yeah. He, uh, he'll he bite you, but other than that, he, he's pretty cool. He relaxes about the same time every morning. He'll go back and lay down or, you know, drop his head and sleep in the stall and, it's funny. The same time every day, he does it? Well, I remember you saying that because I think you pretty much you looked
2: at me and said, "Don't expect to take any pictures because this is the time that he that he takes his nap." Well, again, I, I agree. Uh, the whole Taylor team does an outstanding job, and I know that they put a couple hundred pounds on him, and he came back to you. and I read the stories about you and your dad saying, "Wow, when he came off the van, he just he looked like he was ready for the varsity team." And certainly, you guys have done a great job at at, at getting him ready for each and every challenge along the way. Now, watching the the Pacific Classic, it looked like Victor did a good job because he was down on the rail, where probably wasn't the best place to be, kind of got him out in the forepath and was waiting for those speed horses, and they never came along. They they just said, no, you want to take the lead, you take the lead. How did you feel going into
3: the first turn? Well, you know, I was a little nervous about it. Um, when I saw the quarter mile split, I think it was 22 and change, if I'm not mistaken. And then, uh, when he really backed them up that second quarter, they went 47 and change. So, uh, you know, once he went 47 and change, I I felt better about it. And then, uh, well, I saw Victor just you know, just a snug hold on he had on him, and Chrome wasn't fighting him at all, he was just nice and relaxed in his rhythm, and I was like, oh, he's gonna be hard to get by, you know, he was just, he was just in the zone, you know, he was just loping out there and relaxed, and he can go 12s all day long, so I knew they, they were gonna have a hard time getting by him. Well, he, he just
2: looked fantastic. And I think it's great. I don't know how many people in this day and age would think that we'd see a uh, Kentucky Derby winner running at the age of, of five. Uh, but of course, I guess, you know, w- with that kind of off time that he had last year and uh, w- w- without the world's greatest powerhouse pedigree, he's kind of rewriting his own pedigree and it looks like Taylor Maid's done a great job at bringing in guys that have good mares and obviously are going to you know support him when he does retire I read Steve Anderson's article uh, last Sunday and it looks like uh, you guys are kind of zoning in on the awesome again which would be an awesome prep since it's at Santa Anita
3: yeah that's the plan right now to run in the awesome again and then the Breeders Cup Classic and um, you know hopefully we get the uh, $12 million Pegasus in January. And uh, right now I think it's probably a 90% chance that'll be his last race. But uh, who knows?
2: Uh, Oh, man, if he could race at six, it would be unbelievable. But, yeah, you you just don't know. And certainly uh, the people that are in on the ownership now – I uh, can't feel too bad. Uh, he, he's pretty much uh, right now the racing's biggest ATM machine every time you send him to post. Uh, and I, I did read something that, you know, uh, that the Taylor said, yeah, it's a little close to breeding time. But we think we got some ideas of what we could do to uh, kind of let him down quick enough uh, to be a stallion. If that's the case, um, how honored are you to have him in the barn and, and to be such a critical part of his development?
3: Oh, you know it's awesome, and the syndication that uh Taylor put together, you couldn't ask for a for a bunch of nicer people i mean i I think I've met them all and and they're all just first class great people, and they're gonna they've got really good mayors, so chrome's gonna have a chance, you know he's gonna get some good mares and um so I, I, I'm looking forward to his, his breeding career. You know, I think I think uh, I think that he's going to have a really good career as a stallion. I really do.
2: Um, one last question, Alan. Since you've had him since his young years, you know, so many people in the breeding industry look towards now. Not just the pedigree, but the physicality of the horse. How would you describe his development since really a, a thoroughbred horse isn't fully developed until he's a five year old? Uh, how would you describe him from a physical aspect and how you've seen him grown and perhaps change?
3: Oh, it's amazing the difference he is from, just from two to three was a big difference. You know, when he ran in the Derby, he was a, a lot bigger, stronger horse than he was in this two year old year. Uh, his four year old year he spent out at Taylormade pretty much for uh, you know other than England and going to dubai. He was you know he was a tired horse after dubai. he needed he needed some time after that. So once he came in from Taylormade, he I barely recognized him. He looked so you know he was just massive, big neck chest brump and i mean he was just he grew so much from the time he was turned out when he was four to the time he came back it was it was just amazing
2: well all i know is uh i I have seen him in person right now i have to watch him on television Uh, it looks like you and, and your father and the whole team have done just a fantastic job uh alan sherman uh you know take pride in what you've done because uh, you you've created an awesome machine he's going to go down in history as one of the best and uh again i thank you so much for uh spending the time with us uh, on winning ponies and wish nothing but the best to you and your dad as you you chart your course uh, perhaps uh, uh, undefeated onto the pegasus it would be something to see
3: I uh, thank you so much you know it's such a pleasure to be able to train a horse like chrome and uh... I appreciate all the fans and everything that he has. It's, it's really fun, and uh, we're going to enjoy it while it lasts, and uh, hopefully uh, we can win out and be recognized as one of the best horses ever. Absolutely, and
2: uh, we'll we'll start uh, building up the uh, the Sherman stables again because I don't doubt that some people have taken notice of what you did with this cow, bread and are going to be sending
3: horses you your way and your dad's way. Nice, yeah, we got uh, that'd be great. You know, we we've got some empty stalls right now, so we're ready.
2: All right. Free advertisement for the Sherman Stables. There you go.
3: Alan, thanks a lot. I
2: appreciate you taking the time. I look forward to seeing you again.
3: All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate
2: it. All right. That was Alan Sherman. We're going to take a quick break, and we come back. One of my favorite handicappers and racing personalities, Matt Bernier. You're listening to Winning Ponies.
1: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. And they're off! What?
2: All right, and with me, one of my favorite guests and worldwide known handicappers, Matt Bernier. Matt, how are you doing, my friend?
4: I'm good, John. How are you?
2: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We've had a fun summer. Something interesting is going to happen here at Belterra Park on Saturday. Uh, I think. I think for the first time ever, we're going to have a Breeders' Cup winner race in the sixth race, a one-mile turf allowance race. Wes Ward is bringing in Hoot Nanny. <laughs> I pulled the entries up, and I'm like, I got to be reading this wrong. But uh, so that's going to be kind of interesting on Saturday. My guess is he's been away from the races, and rather than taking on the heavy heads at Kentucky Downs, he wants to give him a soft one at Belterra <laughs> Park.
4: Yeah, you know, Dan Elman and I were talking about it earlier today because you sent that email out to us, and we're looking at it, going, "I understand if you want to try to just get a race into him, but boy, I mean, on paper, he's going to be—he should be one to twenty in that field. There's no disrespect <laughs> to the connection of the other horses, but um, it, i i, I it's, put it this way: it's to me a little bit of an odd place for a horse of the caliber of Hootenanny
2: absolutely uh well it's funny but wesley is no stranger here you know before he won his first races at ascot uh we got special permission to let him work horses on our turf course he liked it so much and I. Uh, cannonball and tiger something i forget the names of all three of them because it was about five years ago but uh, they all worked here and they all went over to royal ascot i think two one and cannonball got beat twice by a head so he's no stranger here and he treated us very well in the press for letting them do that he did it between races to kind of uh, give the horses the feel of alive meat, because some of them were, were younger horses. But I digress. Things have been going good here. That will be very interesting. Um, let's reflect as we can as we head into the twilight of the days under the ancient elms of this season at uh, at Saratoga. What resonates uh, the most with you, Matt? Perhaps a couple
4: examples. Well, I, I mean, I think we have to kind of start with what happened not even a week ago, Saturday afternoon in the Travers, where Arrowgate, Put on a performance that I don't—I certainly didn't expect. I don't know if anyone that even backed the horse or supported the horse thought we would see something like that. Where not only did he break records, he shattered every one that you possibly could ask for. Whether it's the mile and a quarter, whether it's the Travers stakes record as a whole, uh, and the fashion in which he did it—he got his final quarter of a mile in 23 and 4/5 seconds. He effectively ran a turf race, and it's not as though he was going slow throughout on the front end. I mean, they went 46 and changed to the half-mile. Arrowgate with that 122 buyer, as far as I'm concerned, and, and it, it, you know, not being in it as long as a lot of people, as far as the industry is concerned, you know, for me, when Frosted ran his Met Mile and he got that 123 buyer, it was kind of a special thing for me because I'd never seen a true 120 buyer, and that's no disrespect to American Pharoah and the Breeders' Cup Classic, I'm of the opinion that it's probably not a 120. I felt like it was more along the lines of a 115, but the buyer associates wanted to give him that sort of, you know, credit where credit's due and put him up in that sort of upper echelon of all timers where you break that 120 threshold. Uh, Frost's 123 and the Met was, was a legitimate 123 in my opinion. And then I don't know where this came from, but boy, I, on the far turn, I picked American freedom. And I thought I had a shot and he got buried down the lane. It was a fantastic effort. Obviously, Arrowgate is front and center, but also Frost is Whitney, and we'll see if he can kind of uh, wheel back and and replicate that effort coming up here Saturday afternoon in Woodward.
2: Well, I'll date myself a little bit. I was there the day Secretariat's son General Assembly set the record in the Traverse Stakes. Uh, I remember it was a very wet, sloppy track. He was a big, good-looking horse, but obviously nobody ever replicated uh, their dad's uh, secretariat. But, uh, yeah, uh, we were all scratching our heads here watching the race going, what are the two stablemates doing cooking each other up there? And as it turns out, Baffert knew what he had. Of course, he had a winner earlier on the card, quite a day for uh, uh, the white-haired trainer from California.
4: Yeah, you know, we were talking about it a little bit in one of the NBC trailers that way. When, when Drey Fong came out, and obviously he got a very, very easy easy lead, and for a horse that has the ability that, that Drey Fong does uh, after the opening quarter of the race, might as well have been over, we all kind of looked at each other and said, Baffert, Baffert's ready to fire with anything and everything, knowing that he had the two big horses coming up in the Travers. Uh, but I was kind of with you. Going down the backside, I'm thinking... What 46 for the half, and, and you're dueling with one another. That, that couldn't have been the plan. I thought everything out of the gate, though, worked beautifully. I thought Rafael Barrano did his job fantastic, where, as you'll note, you go back and watch the replay. He floats out probably two or three paths, allows Arrowgate to get into his stride, find it, and get involved early on. Um, but, yeah, boy, you want to talk about a couple of everything that Baffert sent to Saratoga was ready to go, and, and they all ran accordingly. He finished first, first, and second out of his three runs.
2: I had to take the sting out of last year when he sent up American Pharaoh, uh, probably against his best wishes, but uh, certainly that's in the past, and he's got a huge future with this son from Unbridled Song. Uh, I believe that was his last crop, so uh, he'll carry on the legend right there, and it looks like judmont has got themselves another nice stallion. In the girls' division, how impressed were you with Songbird?
4: Uh, Boy, you know what? I'll... I'll be the first one to admit I've been a cheerleader and a fanboy of hers since she broke her maiden last year at Del Mar. I just thought when she did it, even as a two-year-old early on, she just looked so professional that it was just effortless, the, the, the talent and the way that she traveled over the track. And clearly we haven't had a hiccup since she's unbeaten. But, you know, you look at it, in certain fields, she just completely overpowered and overmatched. And that's to be expected when you have a mare or a Philly, I should say, of that caliber. But really the coaching club, American Oaks, that was the first, sort of eye-popping moment, simply because Karina Me is a, a fantastic filly in her own right, and she has distance limitations. Let's get that out there. But she took a shot at, at Songbird on the far turn, and and the big girl kind of flicked her away and said, no, no, I'm going to go on and do my thing. And then she came back, obviously, in the Alabama. Set legitimate fraction. She got a little bit tired down the lane, but I'm not going to hold that against her. I think she's fantastic. I love her. I've loved her since day one. I want nothing but the best for her. But guess what? She's going to have a serious test. I assume she'll have at least one more race. She'll have the cotillion, which sounds like Hollendorfer is pointing toward down at Parks. But after that, I don't know, maybe you get a prep before the Breeders' Cup distaff, or maybe they go right into the distaff, because that would give you about eight, nine weeks. Um, I, I think she's got to be viewed as a major player as far as the distaff is concerned.
2: Well, I, I, re- I just really think it's turned into an interesting season. I mean, a- after what American Pharaoh did uh, last uh, year, it's kind of like, well, th- there's our— Last superstar, and uh, while the horse was not at in Saratoga, uh, how about uh, your observations of the path that California Chrome has taken? You know, we just had Alan Sherman on, and, man, he's turned into a beast.
4: Yeah, he certainly has. And, you know, you go back to that Pacific Classic where, uh, I'll admit, I, I picked Boulder, I backed Boulder, but it was a scenario where she was coming into it off of a defeat, and that's not saying that she didn't run her race. He just got buried by a horse that is in raging form right now. And when, you, when you factor in the idea that California Chrome can break as alertly as he did, and Victor Espinosa rode him beautifully, I thought, got him right to the front. We've talked about it so many times. I feel like Victor got so much criticism for his ride on Chrome in the Belmont a few years back. And I'm not even going to say that I really believe that that criticism was warranted, but I think he, he learned enough, particularly going into last year's Belmont with American Pharaoh. If you're on the best horse, just go. If you think you're better than everyone, go to the front. Don't leave any questions. Don't leave anything for chance. Just go along with it. He did exactly that in the Pacific Classic. I understand the fractions weren't all that fast early on, but no one was beating that horse. The minute Dortmund didn't go, it changed the entire complexion of the race. Uh, But I tell you what, you've got to look at it right now. And it's fascinating to see how things have changed over the course of five or six days, where if you had told me, and we talked about it Friday night of last week, I would have said, California Chrome, uh, six to five in the Classic, sounds about right, and I think it's going to be very, very difficult to feed him. And then Saturday afternoon happened, and I'm still going to you know, withhold my my actual feeling, or re- I have reservations because I want to see Arrowgate do it again. But, boy, if he runs his Travers in the Breeders' Cup Classic, uh, American, uh, California Chrome is going to certainly have to pick his feet up.
2: Yes, he is. But uh, certainly uh, with, uh, you know, Dortmund and Beholder in there, it's not like he was running against some $10,000 claimers. You know, he was racing against horses that have uh, champion quality, certainly Beholder, a a, a three-time champion. Well, uh, I guess the 800-pound gorilla in the corner uh, could be starting in the Woodard. My God, how Karen McLaughlin has developed frosted. This horse is a beast.
4: It really is, yeah, and you know, we we'll go back to what we talked about at the top. The Met Mile for me was one of the first true sort of eye-popping races I've seen in the time that I've been in the business. Just because it looked like it, he was traveling very nicely, but I figured he'd win by three or four. I didn't. He win by almost fifteen. Uh, he just did it so easily. He never got out of a hand ride. all Rosario basically sitting chilly in the in the irons, and it was a fantastic effort. And I know I'm in the vast minority here. Uh, his Whitney, I don't think his Whitney was nearly as easy as people are making it out to be. It, I've heard a lot of people talk about it and say that they think that, you know, he had three or four more gears than the Whitney. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying to make a case against this horse, knowing that he's going to be one to five or three to five, something in that ballpark come Saturday afternoon. I, I don't know how much more there is going two turns. I love the opinion, this is a horse that flourishes going one turn, whether it's a mile. I, all, I wonder what he would do at seven furlongs. Uh, it's not to say that he can't do it at 9 furlongs or 10 furlongs. We've seen him proven at 9 in the past. But there's a part of me that thinks that this horse, that 123 buyer, I'm not going to suggest that that's what he is all the time, but I feel like maybe that was the, the aha moment where he's been a one turn horse all along and he can throw down some monster, monster races. Again, doesn't mean he can't win going two turns. We already saw that in Whitney. But uh, I, I do wonder if he's at his best going one turn instead of two.
2: I guess. Uh a mile and an eighth uh is no problem with him um and uh let's face it the woodard isn't going to be the breeders cup classic i think if you're making multiple tickets he's your single in here
4: yeah if you're playing anything like a drf ticket maker play he's got to be uh, certainly an a and if you want to be brave or borderline foolish like i plan on being trying to take a small stab against him, maybe you want to throw in one other a but at the end of the day he's he is way the horse to be. He deserves to be as short a price as he will become post-time. Um, and, look, if he goes through this, it sounds like, from what we've kind of heard uh, whispers through, through the camp for Kieran McLaughlin, that maybe we don't see him again until the Breeders' Cup Classic. Uh, and, you know, what? I don't have any complaints about that, simply because this is a horse. We saw how well he ran fresh in the Met Mile. I, I have no reservations about that. He certainly can fire fresh.
2: Yeah, it sounds like uh, uh, Karen's taking the same plan with cavorting. I mean, he might be flirting with a couple others, perhaps the spinster or something, but he pretty much said, hey, he's already got your win and you're in. Uh, maybe just uh, wait for the distaff and see you in California. So, again, we'll find out uh, what happens, but I think you put a ring around him in the water. Well, um, I'm going to have to. Tune in to your your buddy Dan Elman tomorrow uh, to find out who he likes in the baby race, the Spinaway. Some great two-year-old fillies have competed in this over, uh, over the years. I'll tell you what, the horse I loved and made money on in the Skylerville was Sweet Loretta. I loved her debut at Monmouth, and her uh after an awkward start, uh, was very impressive. Now... Matt Bernier, my concern here is Johnny V was up that day. Then you look at the first-time starter, Cherry Lodge. Both these horses trained by Pletcher, of course. Uh, He he and John are unbelievable. They win a quarter of the races they enter. Comes out with an 89 buyer in its debut when when he finally asked the horse, the horse uh, took off. I noticed that I'm going to guess that they worked together on August 27th uh, at the Saratoga Training Track and uh, Cherry Lodge finished, I believe, about four lengths in front of Sweet Loretta. Is, is the move that Johnny V made to Cherry Lodge uh, in any way uh, tell you anything that he likes that horse better than Sweet Loretta?
4: I suppose you could make that sort of case for, for saying that, you know what, Paul is a guy that's ridden each of these two fillies, and he chose one over the other. Um, I, for me, that's not the biggest concern. Uh, the bigger concern I have for a horse like Sweet Loretta is strictly from a pace standpoint. You know, they went very, very fast in the And good on you for taking her coming up from Monmouth Park. I got fooled. She showed up. She ran a giant, giant race in the Sweet Loretta did. And that's something that I'm sure most people that have been paying attention to Saratoga all meet have taken advantage of. The horses that Pletcher's bringing up from Monmouth, it seems like every one of them has gone out and run a bang-up race. My concern with Sweet Loretta is that she doesn't get the pace that she needs in this race to really accentuate that late kick. Conversely, I think that plays very well for a horse like Cherry Lodge, who you made mention of. It. She was just so brilliant. She was sharp early on. She was out there on a contested lead. She went through. She put down legitimate fractions. And when Johnny V got into her, she responded. You look at the pedigree Bernardini, Carson City. She's a half-to-horse a horse called who was very precocious. She's a full-to-horse a horse called Gallo Ward who may have been the only Bernardini that ever liked grass. Uh, you know, Cherry Lodge, I think, is going to be very, very difficult to beat. She figures to be forward to in a race where I don't think there's a ton of pace, maybe with the exception of the outside horse, you know, too, coming up from Mike Orem from Delaware Park. But other than that, boy, I, I think it's going to be very, very difficult to run down Cherry Lodge if she runs anything close to that debut.
2: So uh, she would be your, your pick in the spinaway, away
4: yeah, that's kind of the way I'm leaning, and I hate to do it because I think I'm picking the chalk, and I understand Travis Stone made her 2-1 to one on the morning line. I think she may go a little bit less than that. I'm thinking 8-5. to five. Uh, I just look at it from a race-shaped dynamic, from a race flow. I think she's going to be forward in a race where there's not a ton of gas. I don't think the distance is any concern for her. Uh, I made her 5-2. to two. That's, I wouldn't want anything less than that, so it won't be a race I'll be playing. But maybe as far as multis are concerned, yeah, she'll certainly be an A and maybe the only A in there. Well,
2: Matt, as a very wise horse player once said to me, John, if you looked down on the floor and saw six dollars, would you pick it up? <laughs>
3: absolutely, absolutely.
2: <laughs> so even a two to one Cherry Lodge, I, I just, uh, I'd like to, I should probably talk to Mike Welch and see what he thought about that, uh, that workout. Pray he might even have a comment on the on the form that I've missed. But it just looks like they that they work together in that Cherry Lodge outwork Sweet Loretta.
4: Yeah, and you know, you bring up a good point too, Mike Welsh, Mike Vessey. They do really good work for us at the racing form. It's one of those things. It's I, I call it an invaluable tool, the to clocker report, simply because it's not so much how fast they do it. And you listen to people; they get to see the workouts in the morning. Almost all these horses, they're, they're talented enough where they can go fast. It's, it's how they're doing it and who they're working with. I'm more interested in who they're working with and who was working the horse. Where you'll find out a lot of, or very often with these two year olds. Before they make their first start, you'll find out that Javier was working them. You'll find out that Joel Rosario was working them in the morning, and he has them out in the afternoon. Those are the kind of things, those are the details that I want to know, and those are the things that you can gain by using something like the clocker report through our guys.
2: Absolutely. Well, um, there's a, a couple other good races up at Saratoga. There's the Saranac and the Glens Falls. Did you get a chance to look at either of those?
4: I did. The Saranac is the fifth race, and it's, it's kind of a fascinating day up at the Saratoga. From Friday through Monday, I believe, they're offering two pick fives for the first time. They have an early pick five and a late pick five. Uh, the Saranac's going to be the, the payoff leg of the early pick five. And I'm not just saying this because my buddy Eddie Olchuk owns a piece of this horse, but I think the number five raised the bar is sitting on a big race. I love, love what Javier did most recently. I know it was an allowance race against much weaker competition, I know it was older horses, but, still they weren't as good as these. Uh, Javier got this horse much more into the running early than he has been accustomed to. It seems like he's had that late kick. The problem is he's just been too far back when he starts it. Javier made sure that this horse raised the bar, was much closer to the pace throughout. He finally found that seam, and he finished that race most recently like a good thing. Clearly, he enjoys Saratoga. He's going to turn back from a mile on three sixteenth to a mile on an eighth. I don't think that's going to be any sort of a problem. There's not a lot of pace in the race. I would look for the four-horse strike midnight to be forward, if not outright on the lead. And I think Javier Parks raised the bar right off of his flank. And uh, like I said, I'm not just saying this because Eddie Olchek, my buddy, is going to have a, he has a piece of this horse. But um, I, I think raise the bar, has got a big shot in the Saranac.
2: Hey, uh, do, do me a favor, Matt. Tell me a little bit about Eddie. Number one, uh, when uh, did he get involved with this horse? And uh, for, uh, uh, I believe, ex-hockey player, how did he get into the game?
4: Yeah, Ed Joe, so, uh, you can see him on uh, the NBC telecast. We, we've got another one on Saturday afternoon, NBC Sports Network, I believe it's at 5 o'clock. But apparently, uh, as far as he and I have gone back and forth and talking, uh, he got into it when he was still playing hockey. Uh, he actually, uh, there's a famous picture of him with the Stanley Cup when he was playing for the Rangers in 94. He brought the cup to the backside and had, uh, I believe it was Gopher Gin, eat out of the top of the cup. So you've got all sorts of, you know, interesting things, but he's been deep into the game for a long, long time. He's hit numerous pick-sixes. I believe the biggest one to date is over a half million at Hollywood Park back in the, the mid-2000s. Um, and as far as this horse is concerned, and maybe my story is slightly off, don't it as gospel, but uh, from what he was telling me, that they saw this horse run over there in Europe in his debut back in July of last year. Uh, he's always been in touch with some of the guys as she said, and with these other people, with Head of Plants Partners. And I believe they just kind of went in partners with this horse. They went ahead, they bought him, they brought him over here. Ran so well in the Pilgrim, even with a little bit of traffic. And I remember we were on air for the Breeders' Cup last year, and, and you would have thought, for a man that's won the Stanley Cup, you would have thought Eddie Olchuk was going to pass out when we found out that in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, his horse was the second choice for a long time and ultimately went off at 8-1. to one. It's been a bit of a rocky go. Check the blinkers on three back. I think this horse is coming into it in great, great form, and uh, I I would expect a pretty good effort from raising the bar Saturday afternoon.
2: Well, I will say from watching you guys on NBC, you, you do pair up and you make a, a good team. A lot of people were asking me, Eddie Olszak, who, who's this guy? Where'd he come from? I guess you know, when they threw him in there, obviously uh, the producers and directors knew something that he could handle himself on camera and uh, uh, he, he knew more than uh, just hat tricks as far as uh, sports were concerned. Um, I didn't get a real good chance, and maybe you didn't either, uh, to look at the Glens Falls. That's uh, the, the grade three, 200,000 uh, on the weeds. I, is, how's the weather looking for this weekend for us handicapping the grass races?
4: Looks fantastic. Uh, last check I saw National Weather Service. I believe we we're looking at seventy-eight degrees and sunny on Saturday up there, and it doesn't look like there's going to be much rain tomorrow. But keep in mind, say that with a grain of salt. Saratoga, you've always got about a forty percent chance of a thunderstorm. Um, I, the Glen Falls is a fascinating race. Mile three eighths, obviously, it's a marathon as far as we're concerned. Uh, Gulpaz is going to be the horse that most people key in on from Chad Brown. Who else is going to be training these turf horses? It just seems like gosh, she's just a super uninteresting horse to me. I, know, I love that she showed a new dimension most recently when she won the way, that she came from out of it, but I don't know. She's just the kind of horse at a short price I'm really not that interested in. Ball dancing is a horse that it seems like her best races are behind her. She's just been so, so off form since really the, just the game last year, and that was at Belmont Park going a mile. I think the one everyone's going to have to look out for is the five, and I believe you pronounce it Arliss. Comes over from Andreas Voller, very good uh, trainer over in Europe, you've got Joel Rosario up, this horse gets the Lasix, and we've seen so many times, and I understand this horse has not been facing superstars over in Germany, but we've seen so many times the European horses come over here, and they're just that much better than what we have, and that's, it's an unfortunate truth. It's just the European horses on turf are much, much better than our turf horses are. Uh, this horse is 10-to-1 on the morning line for Team Valor. I don't know if you get 10-to-1. I would imagine this horse probably goes off in that 6-to-1 range, but I think that's probably if, if you're looking for anyone, why not take the new face, the horse that's run against some decent horses over there? Uh I think the five Arliss is gonna be very interesting. I gotta go back and watch some tape, but I think Arliss is probably the one you'd have to be concerned about if you like a horse like well and the Glenn Falls.
2: Well, Matt Bernier, thanks for covering so many races in so little time and for uh, giving us your insights on uh, the, the big horses that uh, we, we got to see this summer. It's It's been a great meet. It's certainly not over. We're leading up to the Breeders' Cup, and after that, we'll be leading up to the Pegasus, I guess, this year.
4: Yeah, absolutely. sounds like we're going to have a big show down there at Gulfstream Park in February, and uh, hopefully we'll have all the best horses.
2: All right. Well, uh, hopefully I don't lose your phone number, and I may give you a call before uh, those big races. Matt, you look great uh, on uh, DRF.com every Friday. You've got your own show, and after it broadcasts, it's not like people can't see it. They can pull it back up on podcast on the website,
4: correct? Absolutely. You've got it on the website, DRF.com. It's on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud. you got 15 different ways to find it if you want to find it.
2: Well, you're doing a fantastic job. Thanks again for uh, taking your personal time and spending it with the audience from Winning Ponies. I love having you on, Matt.
4: Yeah, anytime, John, and I look forward to seeing you a few weeks down at Keeneland. I will see you there. Okay, we've
2: been talking with the Daily Racing Forms Matt Bernier, and I want to thank Alan Sherman, uh, the co-trainer of California Chrome, for spending his time with us. Want to remind you, with these busy weeks of racing, there's going to be some great odds at Kentucky Downs because of the full fields. You want to go to WinningPonies.com and pull down those easy win forms. We hope to make you a slew of money well i glance over the manicured turf course past the ohio river to the hills of kentucky i want to remind you all when you go to the races bet with your head not over it
1: thanks for listening to winning ponies with john Engelhart. we know the information from today's show will help you at the next post keep listening for more next thursday at 8 p.m eastern time 5 p.m pacific on the voice america sports network